How do we create a business, legal, and policy environment that allows every aspiring entrepreneur to succeed? What barriers do black entrepreneurs face in Canada? Welcome back to In Focus with David Coletto. I'm David Coletto. On this episode of In Focus, I'm joined by three guests to talk about a new study my firm, Abacus Data, helped to conduct on black entrepreneurship in Canada. Commissioned by the African-Canadian Senate Caucus and Nova Scotia Independent Senator Colin Deacon, and in partnership with a dozen black-led business organizations across the country, the survey found that most black entrepreneurs face real challenges accessing capital, building supportive networks, and developing the skills needed to succeed in business. On the podcast today, I'm delighted to welcome Nadine Spencer, the president of the Black Business and Professional Association, Alfred Bergeson, the founder and CEO of Tribe Network, an entrepreneurship and innovation hub for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and Nova Scotia Independent Senator Colin Deacon. I had the real pleasure of working with all three on the study, and we've come together on In Focus to talk about the results and what needs to happen next to make entrepreneurship more inclusive in Canada. Here's my conversation about the state of black entrepreneurship and the results of this study. Nadine, Alfred, and Colin, um, well, thank you for joining in Focus. Thanks for all your work on, on this project. And uh, how are you both, how are you all doing? Very good. In Ontario, we're doing well. There's a lot going on. You know, we're looking at reopening soon and entrepreneurs are ready to get back to business. You bet. Glad to be in, uh, in Nova Scotia, seeing the numbers come back down again. It was, uh, we've got lots of work to go do to get everybody vaccinated. Thanks for having us, David. Looking forward to this. So before we explore some of the results of the survey we did together, um, Colin, maybe you could start by, as one of the, the sponsors and sort of, or, you know, your office was partly, uh, I think this is your, partly your brainchild with your teams. Um, why'd you commission the research in the first place? Well, I was drawn to the area because, you know, diversity of training, thinking, experience is critical to competitiveness and to productivity growth. And consequently, if, if uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a key ingredient to our collective prosperity. You know, if you think about it, breakthroughs rarely emerge from the, you know, a group of people that all thinks the same and sees things the same way. And our country has an opportunity, in my mind, to prioritize and really start to take advantage of diversity and inclusion as a competitive global advantage. Um, that will allow us as an organization, as a country, to, I think, really advance our opportunities globally. But I have to admit that, that um, I wasn't aware, as somebody who has uh, lived with the benefits of white privilege my whole life, uh, I wasn't really aware of the, the, the detailed barriers uh, on every level facing black entrepreneurs until um, Alfred helped me to explore this, um, this topic starting last summer. And I had over the last number of years, uh, conversations with uh, several different uh, black Nova Scotian entrepreneurs, African Nova Scotian entrepreneurs, and found that they were facing barriers I had not faced. But it wasn't until we really started to dive into this work 
at a national level that I started to realize how pervasive and uh, robust the problems were that were facing black entrepreneurs and thought, we've got we've to look into this in a way that we can help to make sure that public policy is addressing these real problems. And Alfred, you know, as, 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 a, as one of the leads on, on this project, you, you used to work in, in Colin's office. You're, you're now an entrepreneur building uh, a hub that's, that's really meant to help people of color, black uh, entrepreneurs, indigenous grow their businesses and, and really spark. What, what drove you um, in terms of, 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 of this project in particular? Because uh, as someone who worked closely with you, I could feel your passion for this project every single day that we, we met. Yeah. Um, you know, when Colin called me to discuss black entrepreneurship and get advice on what he could do, um, you know, black entrepreneurs have been asking for help for decades. Um, this is not new. Um, these are, these are challenges that have been faced for decades and, they, ha they have been reported on in the past. I think for me, I haven't seen the government actually uh, sponsor or commission a study like this. And so I think on my end, it was, to me, it seemed like a great opportunity to ensure that government and, and the Senate was able to take a step forward and learning and exploring this such that the government as a whole um, can learn from this study and in the future, new governments can also learn from what the study uh, provided because, you know, I think, I think we're still scratching the surface though. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah. I think we only, we only, we only started to explore and, and Nadine, you know, in, in preparing to design the study, we, we spoke with, with many black led business organizations, including yourself. You were, you were quite influential in my thinking. In, in, you know, understanding as, again, as a, as a white guy who's an entrepreneur, but had every, I think, privilege and luck uh, along the way. Um, you're the president of the Black Business and Professional Association. In, in, in the work you've done representing, you know, uh, the community, what, and we'll get into the results in a moment, but what really, in your mind, stands out as the the need to inform, right? That was one of the primary objectives of this study, the need to inform others of these barriers. Can you give me a sense of sometimes how difficult it is to relate the experience that you and your, you know, and others in the black entrepreneur community have in, in just breaking through those barriers? Of course, so David, I don't know if you remember the day when you and I spoke, I, have, I felt a little bad actually after the call, after, after our meeting, because I, I felt I came down a little bit hard on you. But I, 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 I spoke with you about thinking about um, when you're in society, you think about every single person and, and you're there because you're thinking about individuals. But I, I think I asked you to just imagine, you know, what a, a black entrepreneur would feel. And I think I shared with you that my husband's a white male, but and, and even though he's married to a black woman and we have black children, his perception of the, the real challenges that we face is still very different, even though he has two black daughters, you know, and that's where it started. But I think what's great about this study and this, this initiative is that it brings everyone to the table. Mm. You know, as um, Senator said, you know, he, he's, 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 he sits in a different seat of privilege and you yourself as a white male you you have a different experience however if we come to the table together and we all look through the same lens 
we can come to solutions. And I think what's great about this is that it's not just a black entrepreneurship challenge. Everyone needs to weigh into the conversation around the challenge because the only way we're gonna come up with solutions is for us to recognize that, you know what? It's not easy when a Nadine and an Alfred walks into a financial institution. It's not easy. We don't have the same level of access. We don't have the same privilege. And in and looking at that, we can recognize that it is harder for us to succeed as entrepreneurs. And if it's more challenging, how then as a society can we make it equitable for every entrepreneur in, in any environment to, to get to the same, same level playing fields? So I think that's what's great about this, this research. And, and I'll just say, um, you were tough on me, but that, that uncomfortable conversation was so important, right? Because you have to kind of shake away the the ignorance and the apathy and, and, and get me and get people to see, um, think outside of their own experience. Um, and I think this survey really highlights that. So let me just quickly go through a few of the, I think, key findings. Um, the full study is available on, on the Abacus Data website. I, I encourage everybody to, to take a look at it because there's a lot of, lot of data. Uh, we interviewed 342 Black entrepreneurs across the country, and, and the results were, were, were quite stark. Right, systemic racism uh, impacts almost all Black entrepreneurs. Seventy-six percent. This is to me the headline. Seventy-six percent of Black entrepreneurs said their race makes it harder to succeed as an entrepreneur. And what what makes it harder? Well, access to capital is the greatest barrier. Seventy-five percent said if they needed to find ten thousand dollars to support their business, it would be difficult to do so. Similarly. Networks and support we found are critical to empowering black entrepreneurs. Um, those who said they did not know how to access those supports were demonstrated um, clear um, barriers in other aspects of their business. So having a support network of other entrepreneurs, of professionals, lawyers, accountants, um, bankers who could help them uh, was critical. Speaking of banks, we saw pretty stark numbers in terms of trust towards financial institutions. Only 19% of respondents said they trust banks to do what's right for them in their community. And in particular, those that we described as unempowered. And the study looked at the difference between unempowered Black entrepreneurs and, and empowered Black entrepreneurs, try to understand why are some empowered and, and some not. Uh, trust was a key dividing line, right? And having a relationship with somebody at a bank led to much more trust, which pointed to the power of representation and relationships um, in this. Um, we also, because this was supported by a dozen or so Black-led business organizations, we also explored the importance of those organizations. One, um, Alfred, that you're now uh, building up and, and Nadine, you lead. 45% um, of Black entrepreneurs said that Black-led business organizations have been either essential or very important to their business success, right? Because of uh, the support they provide, but also to your point, Nadine, understanding what's needed to overcome the barriers and how to break through them. Now, you know, lots of, of, of challenging and, and, and negative results. Probably, you know, the best news though, if there is any good news in this, is that there's a deep optimism among the, the, the community we surveyed, 87% reported they were either very or somewhat optimistic about the future of their business. So despite the systemic racism, despite weak networks, despite challenges accessing capital, um, I think entrepreneurs generally are quite optimistic. That optimism is still there. And, and that means I think we all have a responsibility to, to, to empower them, to, to give them 
um, the ability to compete at a level playing field with, with those from other communities. So given all these results, Nadine, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll get you to weigh in on whether there was anything that really stood out or surprised you from these results, or was this what you really expected based on your own experience and those that, of those members of the organizations you, uh, you support and serve? Yeah. So, you know, when we look at, you know, systemic barriers, nothing in this surprised, surprised me. As an organization that's been around for 40 years in the space of working with opportunities for Black entrepreneurs at all levels, whether you're startup, medium-sized enterprise, or you're scaling up, it's the same challenges. So I want to share two stories with you. One of them, we have a member who borrowed funds at 25% from a loan shark because the bank said no. That organization is now doing $9 million a year, scaling up on a growth path to 25 million. Now imagine that if we had enabled this black woman entrepreneur and given her the loan or access to capital, or even maybe networks or resources to find another way instead of boring at 25%. So it shows you that if we can borrow at 25% and still grow to $9 million, imagine the possibility of what could have happened if, if we had the supports. And, I, and I'm still seeing this a lot where we are missing the, the, the access to capital. Another thing that I find challenging that we see with our entrepreneurs. So our name is Black Business and Professional Association. Do you know that when we get a check from a donor and it's paid to us, the Black Business and Professional Association, when we take that check to the bank, just because it says paid to Black business on it, there's, even though we have the resources, that check is held. It's questioned. They look at me. They look at the treasurer. Where did you get this money? How did this happen? When we issue a check to one of our entrepreneurs who are Black looking, right, and they take that check to the bank, that, that check gets held because it's paid to so-and-so from the Black Business and Professional Association. And so that, that, that resource is not available to them. On, on, for them to, to use to fund their business. And those are just some of the micro challenges mm. um, our entrepreneurs uh, face. So I'm, I'm not surprised. And if you, if you had even more time to do a deeper dive into a study, you would get more of these stories. But what I'm inspired about and what you talked about was the optimism. And do you know why black entrepreneurs are optimistic? Because we don't have a choice. We, we, we self-selected out of corporate Canada or corporate America because of systemic institutional barriers. So then we start a business and what do we find? We still have those challenges. However, this time we, we have a choice because through resources and, and in, your, in the report, it talks about you know, the, 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 resources, the resources that can be available. We then have another, another option, another choice. So no, the study doesn't um, surprise us, but we are also optimistic at, at the, um, the responses. And, and Alfred, maybe you can, you know, help us, help our listeners, you know, and, and, and I learned this in, in my conversations in, in, in the early stages of this project with, with folks like Nadine and others in the community to help me understand how systemic historical racism actually, you know, if you're if you're if you're an if you're a black Canadian and you say I want to start a business, you are starting at a different level than if you were somebody like me, right? Who says I want to start a business? Can you explain how that's the case? I I think of things like home ownership and you know not having family wealth for that that initial seed money. Like there's all these factors that when you bring them together, explains why. Um, many have a hard time just getting started despite that optimism that, that Nadine described. Absolutely. I mean, we are survivors. 
right? Like we were captives and held as slaves for generations. Um, and so when I think about where we are today, yes, there, there is going to be inequities that are systemic. And again, you know, I think there's, we're just scratching the surface of this bigger conversation in terms of the support that black people and black entrepreneurs need in the society, right? Like one budget cycle isn't going to cure the inequities that we have experienced over generations. Um, and so I think, you know, this is a generational, this is truly a generational problem. Um, and, and, you know, yes, we are optimistic. Yes, there are some supports that are coming out today. Um, but I, I, I really do think we are just scratching the surface on what it is the Black entrepreneurs need in this country. And I think, you know, Nadine, the story you told, I think stories are so powerful, right? And again, data has limits in terms of being able to tell the story, although our, I think our, our data is pretty clear and the story is pretty obvious. In, in response to our study, I had some people, some, very small number, push back and say, well, these are issues that all entrepreneurs face. Can you, can you, art- can you, can you share with us and you, I think we already sort of touched on it, how, how this isn't, you know, normal. And these barriers are unique to Black entrepreneurs. I think you could probably extend it to Indigenous entrepreneurs, others who have been systemically uh, held back and, and have, have been treated differently for, for, for generations. How is this? You know, how is your experience and those that, again, that you, you interact with, how is it really different? You know, to Alfred's point, you know, about us being survivors, because we're coming from a captive environment. Um, you know, we, we it's, it's different in that the expectation is, and, and what I found interesting, because I work in the world of creative and marketing, I, I observe all details. So when, when you pointed out just now, um, that for black entrepreneurs, you did this. You said, it's gonna be this access, this and this. And then you said, and if I wanna start a business, oh, I could just start a business. And just in your expression, you could see the ease of what it would be for you, a white male to start a business. And you, and when you talked about the black entrepreneur, you focused on, you knew what it was. Maybe it's coming from out of the study, but, but I think therein lies the, the, the challenge. You know, When my ex-husband at the time would go into a bank, it was very different. First of all, it's hello, Mr. Spencer, welcome. The door is open for you. Everything is for you. When I go in or when Alfred walks in, it's a very different experience. And what's interesting is that the feedback we've had, even from um, allies and friends, they, they said, we didn't realize that because for me, it is very different. And another story, for example, the, the CBA loan, we have a client, he's a very affluent lawyer. And he said, Nadine, I took the loan to get the bank to stop calling me. They wouldn't stop harassing me until I took that SIBA loan. And we do a project in Little Jamaica, all 89 Black businesses. Do you know how many bankers called them? Not one. Not one. So right there, in the law, they say res is locator. The thing speaks for itself. Very, very clear. And so our friends and allies are not surprised. But again, welcome the survey because it now gives us an opportunity could collectively work together to look at these systemic challenges. And Colin, sort of bringing you into this conversation then as a, as a policymaker, as a legislator, as someone who is working hard to 
you know, not just influence government policy, but to raise issues um, onto different agendas. What do you think the federal government can do to help reduce the barriers to improve um, the experience that, that black entrepreneurs to create a, I think, I mean, the, the title of the report was inclusive entrepreneurship. How do we create a more inclusive entrepreneurial uh, environment in Canada? What do you want to see done? Like, what are you pushing for? Um, you know, I just want to reaffirm what Nadine and, and Alfred have been saying that, that, and, and the fact that uh, I wasn't as a, as a serial entrepreneur aware of these systemic barriers uh, and they are real. We've got to stop questioning systemic racism in Canada. That's one thing. <laughs> and let's start to deal with it directly. Uh, let's make sure barriers aren't there because it's limiting our collective prosperity, not just the individual prosperity uh, of these entrepreneurs that are faced with um, conditions for failure, not conditions for success. Um, we've got to be, uh, we've got to be systematic and how we go about breaking down those barriers. But I, I think it involves a change in attitude at government in, within government. Um, you know, as, as an entrepreneur who loves to look at problems because problems represent opportunity. And I, I wrote a post last week saying that, you know, entrepreneurs are crazy because they go after the biggest, toughest problems and they, they embrace them and they get excited about solving them. And that is a power that we've got to unleash across our society if we're going to start to achieve to our potential. And if, it, if there's a barrier to doing that, then that's got to be a priority. So that's number one, make it a priority. Number two is a change in attitude, which is, I, I've, you know, my, I'm now almost three years in this job. I think I might be starting to figure it out. It's the toughest job I've ever done in life. Um, but the, the thing that I find most challenging and most frustrating is that government has a command and control structure to everything it does. Uh, and that is not creating the opportunities that we need in the future. If we're going to benefit from diversity, if we're going to benefit from a diversity of thought and experience and background to solve really big problems into the future, then we've got to have a culture that is about catalyzing and empowering others not commanding and controlling. And when, when you talk about um, Nadine's just experience in Little Jamaica and Toronto, and, and the fact that those entrepreneurs, for the most part, probably didn't even qualify for the loans because of the conditions put on in the command and control structure uh, onto those loans. And we did not view the role of government as to catalyze and empower. If, 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 if it was empowering somebody, it wasn't saving somebody. Well, uh, actually that's a very thin line. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 I don't know. I can't distinguish between those two because entrepreneurs need to be empowered and, uh, and we need them to be empowered collectively. So for me, address, just, just face it. We ha we are a, a systemically racist country in terms of so many different elements. That's, that's not debate. That's not for a, a privileged white man to debate. Uh, and I've seen enough evidence now that I know it's the case. So that's number one. But number two, we've got to change our culture and we've got to move towards catalyzing and empowering entrepreneurs from all communities. Because if we don't, we're all going to miss out on the opportunities that they create. And, it's, and that is to our detriment. And we won't be able to compete if we don't. And, and, you know, all the evidence is we are going to become 
a far more diverse country over the next decade than not. Um, and if we're not building institutions and changing those institutions to respond to that, then we're not going to take advantage of that, that strength, which I think is a strength. Right? We're going to miss out entirely. And, I, and, I, and that's, just, that's just not acceptable. Alfred, you had the, um, I'm not sure if it's a uh, advantage or not, of, of sort of working in both sides. You, you worked for, for, for Senator Deacon in his office on his team, but then now, you know, you came in as an entrepreneur and now you're back out. What, what, what did that experience, <laughs> I, I guess, teach you about how, how challenging, but also the opportunities to move policy um, in a way that actually can, can, can help people, right? Like, are you, are you more optimistic about the power the government can have? Or are you left wondering whether this is something that really has to be driven from the community up? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that was one of the conditions that I, I placed on, on Colin was that this needs to be a from the ground up approach, uh, if we're going to do this project, hence why we identified the, the 12 black business serving organizations to bring in. And, um, you know, I, don't, I, I think, I would absolutely agree with Colin's notion of the command and control. And so how, how does government relinquish some power and give that power to the community to allow them to drive the direction to an improved quality of life um, and, and, to, and to have better uh, conditions for entrepreneurs? I don't think we, I don't think government has leaned into uh, what that truly means. Um, in a systemic way. And, and mind you, like, you know, we're talking about the Senate and the federal government, but there's also responsibility on the provincial governments and the municipal governments. And how is the federal government influencing those other governments to take action? Are they? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I think we're stronger together and we're stronger when we're from the ground up versus the top down. And, and that's, we need to, we need to lean into what that actually looks like um, within the black community moving forward, because in order for this, you know, for, for the supports that are being provided to be sustainable, um, that this is the, this is the approach we need to take. So my, um, my last question is for all of you and, and I'll start with Nadine and then Alfred, and then we'll, we'll end with, with, with Colin. It's the magic wand question. I love it from a qualitative researcher. If you could change one thing today, that you think would make the biggest difference for current and future black entrepreneurs in any way, what would it be? Well, it's so hard to do one, you know, it's, it's hard to do one, but maybe my, my one would be, you know, equity for all. Um, what I imagine that I, I want for my children and the access and the opportunity, I would want that for everybody else. So sitting in the seat as head of the black business and professional association, we, we want um, access and equity for all black entrepreneurs. And you know, to um, Senator Deacon's point, um, I, I think an area that is important for um, a collective model for all levels of government is to look at you know, systemic um, racism and um, having anti-black racism training or unconscious bias training across all levels, not just in government, in um, different associations, and also in the, in the financial in industry, any area that would sort of impede the advancement of black entrepreneurs, I think that would be very critical to, to have. But I, I think the one wand is just equity. Alfred? 
I hate this question so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, you know, my, the, the experience of, that I've had as an entrepreneur and the experience that I just had working with these 12 different black serving organizations in the Senate on this and, and abacus on the study, um, I think has really, um, it's, it's inspired me to, to, to do something that um, I think will be is something that is challenging and something that might take a magic wand to uh, actually achieve, um, which is building a network where the peer-to-peer -peer relationship between BIPOC entrepreneurs can exist virtually and their access to service providers and ecosystem partners across Canada is a reality. Hmm. Um, and so that's what I'm building um, today and I'll keep building it tomorrow. And um, maybe with some, with some luck of some magic, uh, we will succeed. <laughs> well, um, it, I think if anyone can do it, Alfred, it's, it's you. So um, I'm, I'm going to be cheering you on for, for that. Um, Colin, um, magic wand. I know as a Senator, you, you can't just make things happen, but if you could. Uh, I, I'm, I can't break the rule and give you two, I know, but I would love to. <laughs> I think the we can make one, an exception. Go for it. The first one is procurement. Um, I am absolutely a huge believer that government has to shift from defining the solutions they want to buy to defining the problems they want to solve. When they do that, they're going to get really incredible out-of-the-box thinking empowered in solving those problems. And it's going to open the door to new entrants from diverse backgrounds. But right now, uh, procurement is, it, it tends to go, the, the contracts tend to go to incumbent organizations because you're defining a problem that they've delivered. They've got the best mm -hmm. history on delivering or sorry, you're defining a solution that, 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 and you're not opening it up to those creative alternatives that innovate and, and allow us to have productivity growth. So that for me would be the biggest single one that we've got to, we've got to choose to use procurement very differently in this country to spur on innovation and to open the eyes of government uh, officials to the fact that there's incredibly inspiring options to the status quo that they're not even seeing. And they will start to see it on an ongoing basis if we open up procurement by defining problems and the constraints that you have in solving them versus mm -hmm. defining the solution you already have decided you wanna buy. So that's one. And I, since you're granting me a second, I will say open banking. I mean, just about everybody knows that I am a huge proponent of bringing comp Canadian made competition to our banking system. If everywhere you look in banking, it is, uh, it, it is not uh, providing um, equal access to minority groups or those who do not already have wealth and income. Nadine told a story there. West Hall has got several incredibly powerful stories about the barriers he faced in building his, what is arguably a, a, an empire of businesses across this country, uh, where he, he simply the color of his skin were, was, it was an absolute barrier and he found ways around it, but it's, you know, we've got to change that. And one of the ways to change it easily in my mind is to open up our financial system to competition. 
Canadian made competition. And it's been proven in the United States that, that fin uh, financial technology lenders lend to black owned businesses at a rate of up to seven times that of traditional banks. Uh, it, it just, it, it provides new ways of providing access to capital and equity that are based on data points on what you can do, what you're capable of, what you've proven you're capable of, not on traditional metrics that offer barriers to BIPOC communities. So for me, that would be the second for sure. Uh, I don't know why there's been all this hesitation in moving forward in Canada, and I just hope to see it broken down sooner than later. Well, um, on that note, I think, you know, all, all powerful uh, goals and, and aspirations. And I think my sense of, of, of reading, you know, public opinion in Canada, it feels like it feels like we're getting closer to a tipping point in which, you know, uh, people won't accept this kind of stuff. They still have lots to learn. And, and I think um, this study will help um, educate and um, bring insight into the experience. And I can't thank you all enough for, for your work and your support and, and, and Nadine and, and Alfred for, for teaching me um, and, and making me aware of, of what's going on and Colin for, for um, tapping my shoulder and asking me to, to be part of this project. So um, again, I encourage everybody to, to take a, to take a look. Um, Nadine, Alfred, uh, Colin, thank you for joining the, the podcast today and uh, we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll explore this again. Um, so have a great rest of the week. Thank Let's you. Let's check in on progress. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you very much for this very important discussion. You know, this is where it all starts is having these conversations. So David, thank you very much for your time. And Alfred, Senator, it was really great to share this dialogue with you as well. Well, and thanks for your participation, Nadine. It was the fact that so many Black community organizations came together to help design the survey and then be, to bring uh, qualitative perspectives uh, 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 on the data, mm -hmm. in the, it, it makes this a, a far more unified approach. And it sort of says, okay, nobody argue about this anymore. <laughs> These are facts. Let's move to the next level and start to figure out solutions. So, it, but it's thanks to the fact that everybody engaged so uh, completely in that. And, and Alfred, thank you for your leadership and setting us up that way. Thanks. Thank you, David, for, for again, helping us amplify um, the needs and, and this conversation further. This was fun. Great to see you all. Thank Cheers. you. As well, yeah. And have a great day.